Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. I'm really excited to get into the Word with you today. Modern problems, ancient solutions. I want to frame this series for you. Maybe you're just joining us, or you've been trying to piece together, like, why are we talking? Who's this blogger? What are we talking about? We're really honing in on what Jesus teaches about kingdom living, particularly in some of the most foundational aspects of what it means to be a Christian. A Christian, And if you look at anywhere in scripture for like what this is all about, if you're gonna pick just one place, I would highly recommend Matthew chapters five, six, and seven. It is what's called Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, where he stands on a hillside and preaches to all who are listening on what it means to follow him. It's a pretty important moment in scripture that if anyone has the power to define what it means to be Christian, it's probably Christ. (laughs) And he explains, here's what it means to follow me. This message, this sermon that he preaches is stunning and it's confrontational and it's challenging. I don't think any of us can read this sermon comfortably. Every time I come back to it, I'm like, okay, I have been pretending to be a Christian and I need to submit my behavior and my heart to the Lord. It's that constant uh, recalibration. And it's this sermon that really set in motion all of the events that led to Jesus being killed. That's how confrontational this message was. It's a hot take of a sermon because everyone up until that point was behaving living under these behavioral rules, the Ten Commandments, amazing guidelines for moral and civil living, but everyone was behaving. Don't steal. Don't sleep with your neighbor's wife. Don't kill. And most people were saying, well, if there's 10 rules, check, check, check. I got them. I did it. I'm, I'm good. And Jesus in this sermon says, you guys heard it said, don't steal. I'm telling you, don't even covet. Don't even be jealous or envious in your heart. It's not just about the hands. It's about the heart. And people were like, come on, Jesus. Like, I I checked that box. And he's like, no, 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 check your heart. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I'm telling you, don't even have lust in your heart. And some dude's like, come on, Jesus. I behaved, I didn't do it, I just thought about it, it was just in my heart. And Jesus says, what's going on in your heart is the most important thing. And then the topic today that I get to tackle (laughs) is what he connects to murder. Something that perhaps we can be like, okay, at least I don't feel tempted to kill someone today. Today. And he said, Yeah, <laughs> I heard you. He said, Today. And Jesus says, You've heard it said, Don't murder. I'm telling you, don't even hold anger in your heart. What? I thought I could really get down the like non homicidal behavior, Jesus. <laughs> and you tell me, Don't have, ang- don't harbor anger, don't hate. I think if you're open to it today, church, every single person in this room can be convicted by this message, challenged 
by this message. I know I'm preaching it from shaking hands because of the magnitude of what Jesus has called us to. I don't think there's anyone in here who can say, I've got that one down. (laughs) No, I think all of us have some room to grow today. So can I get some visual representation that you're open to the Lord maybe correcting you today? Are you willing? Are you surrendered to that? Because I believe he's going to. So I want to read you what Jesus says. We'll pray and then we'll dive into it. This is Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. You've heard it said to people long ago, you shall not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, I'm I'm sorry, I'm a dad. When my kid says, well, my my friend said, or at school we're allowed to, well, but I am telling you, and that's the tone here. Jesus says, you've heard it. The rule is this, but now I'm telling you, anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, which is a Hebrew word meaning idiot, imbecile, is answerable to the court. Anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Literally in the car, I was like, babe, I don't want to preach that verse. (laughs) There's no way to interpret that. Like, well, what he meant was, he says it plainly. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift. Go and be reconciled with them. Then come back and now offer your gift. This is an ancient solution to a problem we all have, conflict. (laughs) A problem called conflict. And Jesus gives us a step-by-step solution that no one in this room likes following. (laughs) But he says it anyway, and I get to preach it. Aren't you excited? (laughs) Join me in a word of prayer. Father, speak to us today. We need it. We need correction. We need your guidance. We want to come in here and be changed. And I feel like this is an area where all of us can be changed. So would you do it today? Let your word take root in us. Let us leave here more like you and do a mighty work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Conflict. Did anyone have conflict today? Let's just get super honest. Anyone have conflict yet? All the parents are like... (laughs) Every day, it's like, put on your clothes, please. Both socks, (laughs) every time. And then it's like every night, our child forgets that bedtime is coming. Every single night, like it's a surprise. (laughs) A little bit of conflict there. Let's just get real comfortable. Married folk, any conflict this week? Show of hands, yeah? (laughs) Don't point, (laughs) it's okay. This is my conflict. (laughs) It's real. Y'all are being honest, which is good, because first service was like, no, we, we good, we good, next topic. <laughs> it's real life. This one's easy. This is like bottom shelf stuff. Any conflict at work this week? Anyone? Woo! Someone put their hands up. <laughs> it's everywhere. Friendships, <laughs> family, work. There's conflict everywhere. 
And we have to be honest about our conflict if we're going to participate in the process of growth. Conflict is real. It's everywhere. But you have to really gauge yourself on if you are someone who engages in conflict resolution. So for everyone that had their hands up for all these different conflicts, how'd resolution go this week? How well did you resolve conflicts? Because that's what we're talking about today. I think a weighty topic that is so very important. Conflict resolution is something that requires the hard work of relationship. You have to do hard work to resolve conflict. But Jesus makes it clear that this is a priority. If I asked you today, what is the priority for you in this worship service? We'd probably say, uh, probably like the worship or like the word, maybe the giving. Jesus says, if you're worshiping and there is something not right in your relationship, just stop. Please go make it right. Okay, Jesus, that seems like a bit of a distraction to me in my moment. Jesus says, no, reconciliation is your moment. That's what this is all about. It's about peace, about reconciliation. And culture speaks a language that it's just about you and your situation. That's kind of why we have Jackie, this blogger, like telling us this message from culture, which is like, you're always right. Everyone else is always wrong. Cancel them. But that's not the way of Jesus. He says, do the hard work of conflict resolution. And remember, you, you agreed to the terms of this message that you're going to feel conviction because I feel it too. But we've all got something. Conflict resolution is an expression of God's character. I'm going to delve into something just briefly, theologically. This idea of like what Jesus did for us, like what all this is about. There's a term from scripture called the ministry of reconciliation. This weighty topic that basically means we were not in right standing with God and Christ put us back into right standing with him. So there was conflict and reconciliation because of Jesus. And since we have been set right with God, the natural response is how could I ever repay you? What could I ever do? How could I ever thank you? Do you know what he says? Go be in reconciliation with others. If you want to thank me, go make it right with others. Because I already did all the heavy lifting here. So go make it right with others. And it's like, is there another way I could thank you? (laughs) Please. (laughs) Conflict resolution is vital in relationship. And culture is so conflict averse. (laughs) Like culture shies away from conflict. And we see this in all kinds of different ways. Things like we don't, we don't discuss that, don't talk about that, that's gonna make things awkward. Leading the charge with conflict aversion is Gen Z. A, a generation of people who are, who are so averse to conflict, they'd rather not address it because they have seen how damaging conflict can go if unresolved. They watch their grandparents divorce, they watch their parents just go foolish in life, and they've realized conflict always means I'm going to lose something. And that's why we see an anxious-ridden generation who can't even look in one another's eyes when there's conflict because they've been made to believe that conflict will cause me to lose something. We've got to reframe. Conflict gives you the opportunity to retain someone. 
Because unresolved conflict will always cost you, but if you can actually resolve the conflict, you strengthen the relationship. When you've been through some things and you come through them and you heal and you reconcile, the relationship just got stronger. And instead of getting so afraid when you hear, we need to talk, you need to recognize, yes, we do, because this matters too much. We're not gonna sweep it under the rug. We're not gonna avoid it. Conflict resolution is what makes us better. It's what makes us stronger. And we can't be afraid of it because it's the one thing that Jesus called us into. Now, let me explain a little bit about how relationship works. A healthy relationship follows a pattern or a cycle. There are two cyclical events in healthy relationships. Please hear me. This is how it is supposed to go. A cycle of rupture and repair. Say rupture. And repair. and repair. Those two events happen cyclically in relationship. Let me give you an anatomical example. Let's say you're in the gym. It'd be a miracle for some of us. Okay. <laughs> in the gym, holding a weight. And when you curl that weight up, I know I have some, some gym rats in here. On, a, on an anatomical level, what's happening when you put your muscle under that kind of tension? Nice. It's tearing. Now, of course, if it's too much, you're going to like fracture something. You're going to like injure yourself. But in reality, there are ruptures, micro fissures that are occurring. And then when you leave the gym and you feel like this, it's because everything's toe up. <laughs> and if you properly supplement, nourish, and rest, what does your body do? It repairs. It sends all the resource needed to those ruptures causing the muscle to grow bigger than it was before because of the rupture and repair. There has to be rupture for there to be growth, and there has to be repair for there to be growth. And if it's true in your bicep, can it be true in your relationships? That there has to be rupture for there to be growth, and there has to be repair. This is healthy relationship. We need these two things in relationship. But let me tell you what I am almost certain of. Very, very few of us were modeled healthy rupture and repair in our life. So we don't always have a picture of that, right? Like, I'm sure even what I'm saying to you right now, you're like, what? <laughs> I've never thought of relationship being rupture and repair. Most of us didn't see it modeled to us in our families, in our parents' marriage, in our parent relationship. Some of us just got no info, like zero info about relational pattern. And some of us got a very skewed view of healthy relationship. So I want you to just self-assess for a second, because I, I doubt that any of us had a perfect picture. So if you think of this spectrum of rupture and repair, what did you see most of? Were you in a very rupture-centric household, or it's just conflict, conflict, yelling, screaming, but no healthy de demonstration of repair? It's just like emotional discharge, and now that I'm not angry, we sit at the dinner table. Come here. So, how was school? It's like, wait, we didn't repair. We just ruptured and ruptured and ruptured and ruptured, but we never actually resolved the conflict. And if that was you, here's what I can say with some certainty. You had to develop an internal thermometer of what kind of climate you were walking into. Because no one ever talked about the repair. So you just had to walk in. Ooh, some people know what I'm talking about. You had to walk in and feel what version of mom you were getting. 
You had to feel what version of dad you were getting. You had, to, you had to guess, are they fighting or are they happy? Because if they're fighting, I need to leave. And if they're happy, I need to stay. Because I got to take the moments well. If you'd never got healthy pictures of repair, rupture was always a threat to you. And you always had to feel your way through it. And just try to like people please and make mom happy, make dad happy, make things better. Let's just get to the weekend. Let's get to next week. Because repair never seemed accessible. So rupture was something you just had to survive. And that's nine times out of 10 how you're handling conflict in your relationship right now. Not just your marriage, but your family, your friendships, all kinds of things. There's rupture and you just like try to get through it and then just feel better later. No, we can't skip the important work of repairing things, talking about it, getting into agreement with one another, healing and growing. So if that was you, I know, I know we're deep friends, but this is so important for us in our growth. Maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum where your family was so rupture avoidant we do not fight. We do not yell. Someone's like, can I join that family? So, <laughs> I literally heard someone go, Pfft. <laughs> we, we don't fight. We don't yell. Don't make so-and-so angry. Don't make your father angry. Not in front of your, your grandma. Not now. Everything was so rupture avoidant that everything was played nice and sugar-coated. What will probably be the case in your journey is that you are so avoidant of rupture the thought of rupture feels nuclear to you. Oh no, if I let someone down, if we have one fight, what could happen to us? And you become so reactive that the moment there's conflict, you're like, this is it. This is where abandonment issues can come in because you never had healthy rupture, so it always feels like it's critical mass for you. And you have to recognize if you're on that end of the spectrum, you need to get honest. You have to talk about some things because it's basically like you're in the gym of your relationship with a one pound weight just trying to grow. Like, it's fine, it's fine. I don't want anything to hurt ever. It's gonna need to hurt sometimes. You're gonna need to say, hey, your behavior is very selfish and it really causes me to doubt that I can trust you in this situation. What can we do about this? That's the kind of conversation that's gonna cause the relationship to grow. And so no matter which end of the spectrum you're on, you need healthy rupture and repair, not just in your marriage, but in your parenthood, in your friendships, in your families. You need those things. And here's what Jesus teaches us, that it is our responsibility to tend to our heart. His whole sermon is about your heart. He says, get this right. I love what my cousin Sandy was saying during worship. She was talking about that holy ground, that inner resource. Because if you think conflict resolution is about fixing other people, you got another thing coming. Yeah, yeah. You can't fix nobody. Here's a tough truth. You cannot control people. Silence. <laughs> you can't control them. You're not going to change people. You're not going to make them say or do something. And if you think that's what conflict resolution is like, I'm going to make them say they're sorry. I'm going to make them say that I'm right. I'm going to go in and convince them. You're wasting your time. It's here in your heart, getting your heart in the right place so that you can work together toward conflict resolution. It's protecting that holy ground. Getting your heart free from hate and anger. Jesus calls you to conflict resolution because unresolved conflict has the power to derail your destiny. He's not talking about other people. He's talking about you. 
Unresolved conflict has the, has the chance to derail your destiny. Unprocessed anger can lead to depression, bitterness, anxiety, sickness, cynicism, all kinds of different things that just shut us down. And you've allowed an unprocessed conflict to be the thing that just, just exploits that holy ground that's meant for you to be vibrant and alive in. We gotta do the work. I know it's scary, but we have too much to lose. There's too much at stake to run from conflict. So we have to get our hearts right. We have to get our hearts in the right place. And that's why Jesus says, if you're like worshiping, go get it right first. Because it is in reconciliation with God that we get what we need to go and be in reconciliation with others. The second service, I can tell you're digesting right now because everyone's like, I know it's countercultural. That's why we're teaching this. It's an ancient solution that nobody taught you, but Jesus commands you. So you gotta, you gotta learn it. I have to learn it. We have to be people of the word because Jesus gets to define what Christian means. And he says, this is Christian. People who do things their own way and just slap the name Christian on it, that ain't Christian. Only Jesus gets to say what Christian is. And he says, this is what Christian is. So measure yourself against this word. In fact, spoiler alert, he jumps to the end of the, the last thing he says after this whole sermon is this famous parable. He says, anyone who hears my sermon and doesn't do what it says is like a man who builds his house on sand. When the storm comes, it gets washed away. He said that about this sermon, conflict resolution. So what do you think it means? He says, anyone who hears this and says, amen, Jesus, conflict resolution, that's great, and doesn't go and do it, you're building your house, your marriage, your family, your friendships on something that is so insecure that the moment a storm comes, it's all gonna get washed away. And the heart of God is for the strength of your household, your friendships, your relationships. He doesn't just want you to win. He wants us to win. And it is together that we're going to do that. So it requires us to be in unity. So in healthy cycles of rupture and repair, it's how we build relational security. Has anyone ever felt that like relational anxiety? Are they mad at me? What did I say? What did I do? And then you're like, are we okay? Are you okay? Are you, are you, are, are you mad at me? No, I'm not mad at you. Are, are you awake? Yes. Well, the yes sounded angry. Are you sure you're not mad at me? <laughs> Someone was like, yes. <laughs> we get so relationally anxious. Do you know how you get relational confidence? Rupture and repair. When you can look at a person and say, I know you're angry right now but we've been through so much together and I know that even in your anger, you are for me and I am for you and we're gonna get through this, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but we've been through too much for this to break us. That's how you get confidence in relationship, husbands and wives in your marriage, but also parents with your children. If you don't directly address the topics of your child's life, you are not modeling to them how to build that confidence that you can tell mommy and daddy anything because we've been disappointed, but we love you. We've been angry, but we love you. We've been through so much together that this will always be safe. You can't just tell that to your child. You must show it to your child. That's how you build relational security. It's through rupture and repair. We need evidence to prove if this thing is real. And that's how it happens. And so when Jesus points to the heart, he says, you take care of yourself in the heart so that you can actually approach relationship. I'll go again with the parent example because I feel like this is an accessible one for all of us. It does us no good to try to resolve conflict with our child, to fix our child saying, I told you not to do that. 
don't yell. <laughs> Breathe. <laughs> I've so done this. <laughs> this is me. <laughs> Use your inside voice. <laughs> what good does it do to try to fix someone else when you are not taking responsibility for yourself? Put your hand right here, say, my spirit, my responsibility. My spirit is my responsibility. In fact, parents, the best thing we can do in helping our child regulate themselves is to regulate ourselves. To be able to say, daddy is very angry right now. I'm upset, this was inappropriate, there is gonna be a consequence, but I want you to know that we're gonna fix this, we're gonna see change here, you're gonna try again and you're gonna get this. Now I need two minutes because I'm gonna cuss, all right? So, <laughs> helping our child see that we take responsibility for ourselves. Because you can say words all day, but if you're not regulated, it, there is no resolution. Hear me well, you cannot resolve conflict if you are not coming from a place of peace internally. How are you gonna have peace with another person if you don't have peace in yourself? How are you gonna go into a conversation saying, we need to talk. It's like, you need a drink. Like, I don't wanna work on this with you. You have to enter it from a place of peace. That's why Jesus says, get the hate, get the anger, get that stuff out because that is only gonna poison you. It's only gonna affect you. And too many of us have been carrying unresolved conflict from decades ago. Friends, I sit with people so often who are depressed and anxious and bitter, and it is from things that are so far in their history and so unprocessed that it's produced disorder in them. I don't even have to talk about others. I'll talk about me. That's my testimony. So much unprocessed in me that I was unwilling to confront because I was so afraid of rupture because I thought I had to uphold everyone and everything around me and I couldn't have a real talk. And it took me getting honest with myself to say, okay, not everything's all right. And I got to reconcile some things in me. And you have to reconcile some things in you if you're ever going to move toward resolution with others. You've got to own it. Extreme ownership. Take ownership of your feelings. They didn't make you do anything. You chose. And you have to come into conflict resolution, not trying to be right, but trying to be reconnected. That's the goal of Christian conflict resolution. Reconnection. Not proving a point, not arguing, it's reconnecting. Because conflict if we're not careful, conflict can overshadow our connection. And let me be very clear. This verse and the other verses like it talk about being in resolution with other believers. Jesus says, if there's something wrong with you and someone else who's following me, y'all got to figure that out. Why? Because we're going to be together a long time. <laughs> like this eternity thing is going to be real bumpy if you can't figure it out right now. Yeah. I'm reminded of my grandpa, this Dominican man, super strict, with everyone like except me actually. Like he would take he would take his belt and like whoosh, whoosh. like he was he never hit me though. He, I, I just learned today in first service. I said that it was like he never hit me, and my cousin was on the second round. She was like he hit me. <laughs> so I guess I was like you know special. But um, 
but he would like take this belt and then, but he had this one punishment that I just made me so mad. And when me and my other cousin who was close to my age were fighting, he would say, go sit on the couch and hold hands. <laughs> just hit us, please. <laughs> and I can remember sitting there and like, and my cousin had those big meaty fingers <laughs> and he would just like, it was like a baseball mitt around my hand. And he would just like, <laughs> He would just like squeeze and I'd just like squeeze him, just angry. And just and he'd be and my grandpa would be like, smile. <laughs> and he was teaching us a lesson that you might be in conflict, but your family. You hold those hands. You work it out because you're family. And I think it's exactly what Jesus is saying to us. Yes, you might be black and white and rich and poor and left-leaning and right-leaning, but Christian is what unites us more than anything. Jesus is what unites us more than anything. We're going to have to figure it out. There's going to be conflict, yes, but we have to hold hands and get through it together because that's what glorifies the Lord. And, you know, interestingly enough, as funny as that story is, it makes me emotional because, like, when my wife and I fight, we hold hands. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's a reminder that we're connected even though we disagree. And it's really hard to cuss someone out when you're holding their hand. <laughs> And this lady can cuss, so, <laughs> so happy birthday. <laughs> but we have to be connected. That's what the point of resolution is, connection. So how do we go about this? Jesus gives us some practical steps. He says this in Matthew 18. He talks about what to do if someone has been at odds with you, if there's wrong, or even if they're going astray. Which, as I was studying this, I was like, this verse talks about stuff that we misidentify. We think it's just like, if someone makes me mad. No, it also says if they're just like going astray. If someone is sinning. If someone is sinning against you. Matthew 18, 15. Go and point out their fault just between the two of you. Yeah. Hello. It's highly possible that you, like me, reading Matthew 18, 15, have something to repent about today. Have you ever gone to someone else first? I have. Can you believe what they did? Can you believe what they said? That's not what Jesus tells us to do. He says, go just between the two of you. And I'm not here to shame you. I'm here to call you back into what Jesus says Christian means. I'm here to call us into what this is all about. Go just between the two of you. And here is a verse that I don't think any of us really are honest about. What's the win? of Christian conflict resolution. What's the goal? It says, if they listen to you. Not if they apologize, not if they say, you're right, I'm wrong. Not if it's like a beautiful, happily ever after. It's just being heard. That's it. That's the base level. Now, of course, we want to see more and more and more. But he says, hey, if they listen, you've won. That's it. If you can sit on that couch and just hold hands, you've won because you are family. Now, of course, the goal is resolution, but again, the goal is not to be right, it's to be reconnected. Are you trying to win the fight? Or are you trying to win the relationship? What's your goal? Because if your goal is to win the fight, you might lose the relationship. Win the relationship. If they listen to you, you've won. But if they won't listen, then and only then, if they're like, I don't even, no, I'm not even gonna, I'm, you're not even going to say a word to me. If they're unrelenting, then take one or two others along so that every matter can be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. That's where you bring one or two others 
who love both of you. Don't bring your posse. Be like, come here, come here. The Bible says we can go jump this guy. Come on. No, and you want those, you, it, it, like, when you, when you want a posse, you want those people who are just barely saved, like, they can just backslide real quickly. <laughs> I'm kidding. Someone's like, see, I told you. <laughs> if you're going to involve anyone else, here's the biblical and pastoral recommendation. It should be someone who is mature spiritually and who loves both of you. It should not be sided one way or the other. Because it allows it to be clear that if we can't reconcile this, it affects more than just us. It affects them. Yeah. It affects the community. Like, because we're interconnected. Bring two or three in. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. Get pastoral leadership involved. I can't tell you the amount of times people come to me and they're like, Pastor Justin, you would not believe what happened to me and so-and-so. My first question, did you talk to them? No, 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 no. Okay, well, I actually need to ask you to stop talking to me. Because if you haven't even talked about this, you're going in the wrong direction. This is not, this is not just uh, some kind of uh, game we're playing here. This is the family of God. But if they still refuse to listen, get the church involved. And then if they refuse to listen even to the church, then treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Seems like a nice way to be like, yeah, now I can finally say what I want. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. How did Jesus treat pagans and tax collectors? I wish that the verse was like, once they got three strikes, they out of there. No, I think what this is saying is like, hey, if you've done all that you can do, bless them and go about your business. And if they want to come back, then the door is open. Jesus leaves the door open. Bruno thought he left the door open, but Jesus leaves the door open. <laughs> First service did not get that joke. <laughs> Jesus leaves the door open for people. And he says, hey, if it still doesn't work, then just leave the, leave the door as an option for them, but you have to go about your life. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And I tell you, if, verse 19, if two of you agree on anything, it will be done by my Father in heaven. Here's a verse that always gets misquoted, verse 20, for where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. We think that's a verse about like small prayer meetings. It's like, brothers, if there's two or three together, Jesus is, of course Jesus is there. That's not what this verse is about. This verse is if two or three people who have been in conflict can join their hands together and pray and resolve that conflict, the presence of God fills that situation. It is holy. It is sacred. When a husband and wife can reconcile, Jesus is there in their midst. When fathers and children's hearts are turned back to each other, Jesus is there in their midst. When friends can be honest and heal their relationship, Jesus is there in their midst. That's where the presence of God is most glorified in reconciliation. And after all of this, Peter, my guy, Peter asked this question that I think all of us are thinking right now. He's like, Jesus, how many times should I forgive somebody? I hear you, you're talking about forgiveness and forgiveness and reconciliation. How many times, like seven? And Jesus says, 70 times seven. Just keep forgiving. Because if you start keeping a scoreboard, you might not like the score against you. Because think of how God has forgiven us. Jesus tells this story about a, a guy who 
was in debt $100 and the banker says, you know what, I'm gonna forgive your debt. He goes, oh my gosh, thank you. And he's grateful and then he goes outside and sees a friend that owes him a dollar and he chokes him and he says, where's my money? And Jesus says, who is forgiven much? This guy that had $100 forgiven of his debt, this person who was forgiven much should be forgiving as well. If you're going through life with unforgiveness and unresolved conflict, you've lost sight of God's kindness to you. We don't forgive other people because they deserve it. We forgive other people because we didn't deserve forgiveness. And we are more like them than we'd like to admit. Perpetrator, wrong, selfish, and God loved us so we can love others. But hear me well, forgiveness is an internal choice. Forgiveness takes one person, you. Reconciliation takes two people, you and them. And it's something you have to work together to do. You extend the hand and you try. And sometimes it's gonna go well and sometimes it's not. But reconciliation is the platform that I believe the church is meant to preach its greatest sermons upon. Not in how dynamically we can communicate, and how dynamically we can coexist with one another. What happens up here is incredible. I think what happens here is most countercultural. This is what causes the earth to say, I, I literally remember someone said, every time I drive by City of Life, there's all kinds of people coming out. They're like black and white and Spanish. How are you all in the same place? And I say, Jesus, like it's only Jesus. That's the only way we can do this. We gotta be at peace with one another because it's what glorifies God in the earth. It is reconciliation that allows us to proclaim the favor of God. When a husband and wife, instead of being like the perfect Insta couple and everything's good, no, when a husband and wife can say, we wouldn't be married if it weren't for the grace of God. It's not perfect, it's not pretty, but it's reconciled. And if he did it for us, he can do it for you. That glorifies God. When someone says, my parents almost broke me, my trauma almost ended me, but I am forgiving them, we're working on healing, I have boundaries, I'm growing, that glorifies God. Because right now the only solution in culture is cancel. But what about grace? What about reconciliation? What about we being the ones who lead the way in reconciliation, in restoration, in second chances, and third chances, and fourth chances, and fifth chances? We've gotta make it right. Do the hard work of rupture and repair because when it's been through the fire, it comes out gold. Do the hard work. Don't be afraid because if God did it for you, you can certainly do it for others. Reconciliation isn't always possible. Fight for it anyway. Reconciliation won't always be welcomed. Fight for it anyway. Sometimes there's literally no chance of reconciliation. Perhaps the person is deceased, or perhaps they are actually unsafe for you to reconcile with. Please hear me well. I'm talking about conflict, which is altogether separate from outright abuse. If we're talking about sexual and, and physical abuse, if someone is unsafe, Certainly Jesus isn't saying, you know, just try to go make it right. No, you need to be safe. The authorities need to get involved. But what I'm talking about is relational issues between us and others that has to be made right. And even if you are in one of those dire, terrible, unthinkable situations, 
Pastor Janice's testimony of how she has walked out forgiveness. I can't wait for you to read her book. It's almost here. It, it is such a dynamic testimony of how, she, how God brought into her own heart someone who could easily say, I get to hate. I'm allowed to hate because of what was done to me. Even she has been able to testify, no, the Lord has even brought forgiveness into my heart for my abusers. It's not saying you reconcile every single thing, but you forgive, you make sure you're safe. But what I'm preaching about today is those relationships that must be fought for. So, I know this wasn't one of the moments where it's easy to just clap and smile through. I think this is guttural. This is deep. But I'm going to ask you for one simple call to action here. Just 30 seconds here. If you would close your eyes, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Holy Spirit, would you bring to our hearts, would you bring to our minds one relationship that you would have us work toward reconciling? I believe right now I might be showing you a face, a name. Okay, open your eyes. Obey that. God speaks. What do Christians do? We obey. Anyone who hears his words and doesn't do anything about it is building on sand. So here's my suggestion. I saw it after first service. You might need to make a phone call. You might need to go get some coffee. Here's one thing you are not going to do. City of Life, you're not going to resolve conflicts over text. Stop that. Okay? It's, an, it's, an, it's a non-starter. We don't resolve conflict that way. We connect at the heart because this isn't about being right. It's about being reconnected and ain't nobody reconnecting that way. Do the hard work. Do the rupture and the repair. Watch it grow. So take whatever he's put on your heart and let's go be peacemakers. This is the last thing I'll say. Peacekeeping is the weakest form of reconciliation. Peacemaking is the strongest. Peacekeeping is where we we tiptoe and we avoid. Just keep the peace. Just don't touch that one issue. Let's just try to let's try to keep it all good. Peacemaking says, "Hey, you feel that? I feel that. We're going to talk about this." In fact, peacemaking is usually the most confrontational thing that we can do. But Jesus didn't call you to be a peacekeeper. He called you to be a peacemaker someone who refuses to accept chaos, who refuses to accept anything other than God's peace. So take what he just spoke to you and go make peace. I believe that reconciliation is the greatest platform for the church to preach from. And what would happen if all of us lived in vibrant reconciliation? People couldn't deny it. Left and right people are like, Christians are hypocrites. What happens if Christians start forgiving them? It's like, well, wait a minute. What happens when Christians start showing love like Jesus did? It silences the criticism and it demands a response. I love the power that God has given us through this ministry of reconciliation. And I invite you to participate in it. Would you bow your heads with me? If you're here and you don't know Jesus, 
He has made a way for you to know the Father. He's reconciled us though we were far away and it is about responding to him. So if you're here today and you want to know Jesus, that way you want him to be Lord of your life, I wanna pray with you. If that's you and you're here in the room, can you just lift your hand so I can know who I'm praying for? Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. If you're watching online, you can type, I need Jesus right now in the chat. Man, so many hands are up responding. Can everyone repeat this with me? Say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. I wanna live for you from this day on. From now on, it's Jesus first and Jesus always. Be my Lord, be my Savior and help me to be a peacemaker. In your name I pray, amen. Can we celebrate all those who've made this incredible decision? Man, I believe something so special is happening. This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.